Salvete iterum Romani, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. Once again, I am your host, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is Amelia Edwards. Hi. Hello. What does iterum mean? Again. So oh. it's hello again, everyone. Oh, hello again, Romans. Nice. <laughs> um, and who wouldn't want to be a Roman? Uh, I don't As Mark Antony says. I don't want to be a Roman. Okay. Sounds like it's really rough, uh, <laughs> regardless of where you're born. Um, so this is a continuation of last week's episode where we started talking about the boy emperor Nero. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are listening to this episode and you haven't listened to part one, you probably should because there's going to be a lot of stuff that you know you need context for. And there's stuff that's going to be referenced again. So go back and listen to that. Or just listen to it again anyway. Boost our numbers on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so obvious. Absolutely. So we ended last time by me introducing the Great Fire of Rome. Nice. This is one of the most famous things that happened under Nero's reign. Uh, as we said last time, the story is that he played his fiddle while Rome burned mm. because, you know, he was not concerned about it at all. He just didn't care. No. That's likely not true for reasons we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but Oh, spoilers. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, the Great Fire itself is pretty bad. Like, Rome was always a fire hazard. Yeah. They built the buildings very tall and very close together. Yeah, actually, we knew they were quite tall because of the Roman murder mystery one exactly, you did a while ago. Exactly, yes, yeah. So, as a result, fire was a surprisingly common occurrence okay. in Rome. But this one was truly devastating. Mm. Um there's also a suggestion that Nero started the fire by some people, but that yeah. also seems to be entirely untrue. That's the version of history that I think I've been told a fair amount on account of what he did after the fire. Yeah, it is almost completely untrue. Okay, cool. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it was an example of urban planning. But <laughs> there is that suggestion, um, but we'll get into that in a yeah. little bit. Uh, it is likely, though, that the fire was just an accident that got out of control. Sure. Um, it started on the 18th of July uh, in the merchants' shops around the Circus Maximus. Mm-hmm. And this fire would go on to burn for six days. Ooh, okay. And then it went out. Mm-hmm. And then it reignited and burned for a further three days. Oh my god, I think that's longer than the Great Fire of London did. I think it is. Um, one of the reasons for this is there are some anecdotes about looters basically okay. restarting the fire in areas so that they could go in and rob the places. Oh, those looters are cunning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Some of them, when they were caught, claimed that they were under orders to keep the fire going, which I think is what started oh. the rumour that Nero ordered the burning of Rome. But that's also like a little bit of an indictment on Nero, isn't it? Like, if you could go, oh, I've, I've been told by the emperor yeah. to do this, and people are like... Could be true. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the curious thing, because the thing is, for a lot of his time, Nero was actually quite popular with sort of the lower classes of Rome. Yeah. So I suspect that this was, you know, said to higher ranking people who would then go, oh, yes, we don't like Nero. Oh, right. So it could be an indictment of Nero or it could be an indictment of the political system. Right, okay, sure. Hard to say, but it does seem to be that this is the origin for the rumours that Nero burned down Rome. Yeah, okay. Um, The fire was truly severe. So Rome at this point was made up of 14 districts, Mm -hmm. 
Only four escaped the damage. Oh, okay. Three of the districts were just gone. Yeah. They were just completely destroyed. And seven were burned almost to the foundations. Wow. And another reason that it probably wasn't Nero is that one of the buildings that was destroyed was the Domus Transitoria. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, poor Nero. And Nero it's himself... It's truly he who suffered. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was, he was though, he was really good after the fire. He was really generous. Okay. He gave out a lot of relief uh, to people. Uh, he was really charitable. A lot of money went out to help people recover and mm-hmm. help rebuild everything. Okay. The rumor that he played his fiddle while Rome burned is almost entirely untrue. Firstly, fiddles didn't exist. Yeah, that's the one that always got me. Yeah, that is a later invention. (laughs) If he was playing anything, it would probably be a liar. Yeah. But it also seems like there's no actual source for this other than these later depictions. There are even some people who suggest Nero wasn't in Rome at the time. Well, he could have been playing his lyre while Rome burns, then, mean, but it he, just was incidental. Yeah, it could very well be. Incidentally, when he was in Greece. <laughs> yes. So, of course, Rome being mostly destroyed means that you've got to have a huge project to rebuild everything. Mm-hmm. And there is some suggestion that uh, Nero decided to rebuild it in more of a Greek style. Okay. Which is one of these things that's like... You know, he's a massive Hellenophile. He really loves the Greeks. He must have burned down Rome in order to make it more Greek. Okay, sure. Fine. Which is why all these things kind of come together, it right. seems like. Uh, I see. It's just the ancient Roman hatred of all gr- things Greek. Pretty much. Or at least it's like the, we're better than the Greeks. Yeah. Why is he being all, the Greeks are great? Why yeah. was his first public performance in Naples, a Greek city? Like Sure, okay. Yeah, it's all that sort of stuff. But one of the things that he did do was he decided, you know, my Domus Transitoria has been burnt down. I'm going to build a new palace. Yeah. And he decides to build the Domus Aurea, which means the Golden House. Oh, my God. Now, this was truly enormous. Like, we've said before the Domus Transitoria must have been big. Yeah. Some scholars suggest the plan for this building was to make it over 300 acres in size. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, the actual building, but or would it have been like a building complex? Um, it, it's hard to say. Right. Because it was never completed. Understandable. Um, and later, further emperors kind of slowly took it apart. Yeah. And it's only relatively recently that we've even found some of the foundations for it. Okay. Um, But some scholars actually argue that the sheer scale of it suggests that this wasn't an act of huge excess, that Nero might have meant it to be kind of like a public house. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I see that. They also point out like there's loads of gardens inside that could very well have been for public consumption. They kind, of, they kind of look at it as a bit like a National Trust property. Right. Where it's like, you go in, you go around, you enjoy time in the gardens. Maybe you go to the tea house. Sure, okay. <laughs> um, so they're thinking, like, he decided to build this massive palace. Yeah. Presumably he was planning to kind of live in it, but not make it for him exclusively. It was going to be for the, like, so that the people of Rome could enjoy some of the finer things in life and, yeah. like, have a like basically like an arcade type yeah. building. Right. This is one of the suggestions. Of course, other scholars suggest that, you know, it was just a huge excess. Yeah. Um a sign of this could be that later emperors were embarrassed by it and they eventually like took it apart to use it for other things. Sure. 
And one of the other th- reasons that they might think that, you know, it's just his vanity is that one of the main features was the Colossus of Nero. Yeah, I've heard of the Colossus of Nero. I'm a big fan. So this was a golden statue uh-huh. of the Emperor Nero. Yep. Uh, it's the reason that the Colosseum mm-hmm. is called the Colosseum was because the Colossus of Nero was later moved from the Golden House to the area by the Colosseum. Yeah. The statue itself, we don't know exactly how tall. Yeah. But it was likely between 30 and 34 meters tall. Amazing. To put that into perspective, if you take away the pedestal, yeah. that is roughly the same height as the Statue of Liberty. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen pictures, like when I've been to Rome, I've seen pictures that they've made of the impression of what that would have looked like standing yeah. next to the Colosseum. And it's like a little bit taller, yeah. like, which is shocking. It's insane. And also it's golden. Like, yeah. Why make a golden statue of yourself? I mean, well, this is why people are like, he's so vain. And this is why, like, the golden house, he's got a golden statue. He is just obsessed with excess and wealth and everything Mm -hmm. like that. And this is at a time when Rome is really poor. Like, they've had to introduce inflation just to make the rebuilding of Rome possible. Yeah. Um, Yeah, this isn't really the time to cover things in gold. No, it isn't. Uh, Later on, after Nero dies, the Colossus does still exist for quite a while. Mm. They changed the face to make it Helios, the sun god, instead. Understandable. And that's when they move it to near the next to the Colosseum. And to do this, they get 24 elephants to pull it. Yeah. What? Yeah. That is a shocking number of elephants. (laughs) Yeah. Which... Like, I can't imagine 24 elephants all in the same place, even. I mean, I can't. And the thing is, Rome is known for having quite narrow streets. Yes. Like, they must have gone single file. <laughs> That's surely the only way they could do it, unless they just tore down buildings to create a path. No, actually, I might have an explanation about this. Yeah? So, the thing was that the big palace that he did build yeah. is on was on, like, one of the major hills. Obviously, right. it's on three of the major hills. But, um, like, one of the major hills is right next to the Colosseum. Right. So it is possible that you would have... It it wasn't a really long distance. It was just really heavy. Yeah. And I guess you could just knock through a few rooms and take it rather than having to drag it through the streets. And that helps you to destroy this stupid, stupid building. Absolutely. The Golden House was a ridiculous idea. Regardless of whether or not it was just for him or for the public, it was... Yeah. It was such a stupid idea, especially, <laughs> as we said, at a time when Rome is comparatively quite poor. Yeah. But this is well, a thing. Nero does seem to really give in to excess a lot. Like, yeah. you remember I mentioned last week about the one war that happened during his reign? Yes. So that was a war against the Parthian Empire, which was kind of Rome's big rival for many, many years. Where, it's ki- where are the Parthians? Uh, you kind of think of Iran and areas around it. Okay, so like Persia type area. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, the two of them, the Romans and the Parthians, were basically fighting over Armenia. Cool, of course. Yeah, because (laughs) (laughs) Armenia was one of these places that was semi-independent but had a client king under Rome. Right. And Parthia was like, no, we want to have our client king there. Sure, okay. So Rome, like Nero did have soldiers sent out from Rome And they basically failed at every military uh, occupation they tried. Great. Like, this was not a war that went well militarily for Rome. 
and eventually they kind of stopped fighting and it became a war of diplomacy instead. Okay. So when the war ended in 63 CE, it was done entirely through like back alley dealings. (laughs) Okay, cool. And Armenia actually, like they'd managed to keep a hold of the client king that Parthia had installed. Mm. Now Nero in 66 CE Mm. decided that he wanted to celebrate this military victory with a triumph. Wait, but they lost, didn't they? Well, they didn't lose. They (laughs) technically won, but they only won through diplomacy. Right, okay. Like, Rome gained no land. Great. And this is the thing. A triumph is meant to be a huge military victory. You're meant to have come back having taken new lands, and you bring back the stuff from the new lands that you've conquered. You bring back, like, a load of gold and slaves and stuff. Yeah. So Nero... He does the normal thing, which is he gets the ruler of the area that's now conquered to come to him as a sort of like, I'm so powerful, this king must come to me. Right. He makes a huge spectacle of it. He spends so much money making this lavish triumph and everyone just goes, what the hell are you doing? We are poor right now and this is nothing. Yeah. So this really backfires for him. But it's just that more example of just Nero being excessive and performative right so he's he's basically trying to be like augustus and do all the really big stuff that you're supposed to do that's like helping like entertaining the people but he's he's but he's not he's not judged the political climate at all well it's not just that he's not trying to do it he's trying to perform it right the neronian period as it's known is kind of known for being this period of, like, high acting in everything. Because Nero was so heavily into the arts, that was the thing that really flourished under him. Yeah. Everything was performative. Everything was dramatic. Like, I already mentioned Octavia about how she learned to play her role as his wife. Okay. And it seems like that was just the mood of the empire, so he's not being Augustus. It's like he's an actor playing Augustus. Right. Okay. Which is, it's it's one of these ways that you can kind of, kind of analyse Nero and his behaviour. And in fact, uh, Suetonius and Tacitus both try, in, in their own way, try an analysis of Nero, which is really interesting, because obviously this is long before the idea of psychology. Yeah. But they kind of... They're like, why was he such a pillock, though? Well, they kind of suggest that he had an impulse control problem. Okay. That he literally couldn't help himself from doing these things. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Okay, so back to his more personal life. Yeah. Uh, We've already talked about how Papaya Sabina dies in 65 CE. Yeah. Uh, And during that time, Nero has already married another man. Oh, yeah, no, he had, hadn't he? Yeah. I don't think it counts if it's Saturnalia, though. Well, it it also doesn't count because he's another man. Like, they didn't allow same-sex marriages. So that was unofficial. Um, Nero does go on to marry twice more, although one of them is like his marriage to Doriferous. Okay. It is not official. Right. So the official one was in 66 CE. Mm -hmm. Uh, He married a woman called Statilia Messalina, His husband was forced to commit suicide so that she could marry the emperor. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. She actually managed to do what Octavia didn't do and keeps a low profile through the entirety of the rest of Nero's reign. Yeah. She manages to survive and actually goes on to marry one of the later emperors. Okay. So she has an all right time. I think she's just good at keeping out of the way. Yeah. And just not bothering Nero. (laughs) Who I don't think is even really interested in her because in 67 CE, 
he marries someone else as well. Okay. Uh, a eunuch called Sporus, which means seed. Again, hilarious. That's, oh my God, Suetonius, you're such a riot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it seems like this was actually his name. Oh my I God. think this was the Romans being punny. Oh, Romans, you're so, you're so hilarious. This is like when we looked back at um, slaves that were called... Um, Oh, what were they often called? They often had the surname like Black or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, or White. There yeah. were a lot of people who were like, oh, let's call this person like Blanco. Ha 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 Hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, so there are a few stories about Sporus. It's hard to know exactly what's true. Some of them suggest that he was um, what were called the Puer Delicatus, which oh, literally no. means delightful boys. Yeah. Who were basically objects to sit around and look beautiful. Oh, and, okay, okay. And many of them were castrated in order to sort of keep their feminine appearance. Great. Yeah. Other suggestions are that Sporus bore a passing resemblance to Papaya Sabina. Okay. And so Nero had him castrated in order to make him more womanly. Oh, hon. And then Nero marries him, this time taking the role of the groom. Right. So... And and this is like more of a long-standing thing than his Saturnalian marriage? This is a much more long-standing thing. This actually lasts until his death. Sporus is with him when he dies. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's said that like when he's dying, he calls out to Sporus rather than to his wife. Oh, harsh man. Yeah. Okay. His wife isn't even in the same building when he dies. Okay. I mean... (laughs) That's super, like, that whole thing is super interesting. It really is. When it came to the Saturnalia thing, I kind of thought, you know, because I know that people used to do a lot of, like, upside down type yeah logic it's a drunken night out yeah you might marry another man yeah whatever <laughs> um and and it's kind of like not taken seriously right yeah so that's the whole purpose and then um people who aren't usually in charge get to be in charge for a little while and yeah. all that kind of thing so i kind of felt that that might just be a game yeah but in this case this sounds pretty serious this like, does seem pretty a, serious he was actually in a relationship with this person it, it does seem like it okay What's unclear is how much Sporus consented to it. Sure. I mean, I'm always very worried about um, eunuchs in the past and how much control they had over their own livelihoods. Yeah. And Sporus was a freedman, so he had been a slave. Right. So hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his sort of remaining marriages. But back to his political life now. Okay. Jumping around, we're going to go back to 65 CE. Okay. So before he's married off to Statilia and Messalina and Sporus. Yeah. Um, and the Senate is basically going, this emperor is ridiculous. He's spending so much money. Yeah. He is doing all these things that we don't like. And he's really heavily taxing everyone, including us, so that he can afford all this stuff. Great. So they kind of, people start going, maybe we should get rid of him. Yeah. So in 65 CE, a conspiracy called the Pisonian Conspiracy is unmasked. It's called that because its ringleader is a man named Piso. Okay. Uh, in fact, we had another Pisonian conspiracy back in Caligula, if I remember rightly. I think he was trying to get rid of Germanicus. Could be. Yeah. Anyway, right. this conspiracy is people unmasked. People should keep an, idea, keep an eye on people called Piso, right? I know, right? Uh, this conspiracy is unmasked, and this gives Nero a great excuse to execute a lot of people. Fantastic. So these were either executions or forced suicides. Uh Uh-huh. And one of the people uh, forced to kill themselves was the great poet by the name of Lucan. Okay. I think I've heard of Lucan. You probably have. He was like the poet of the age for Mm. Rome. 
And this is, some people suggest this might be one of the reasons that he was executed, was because he was better poet than Nero. Oh, right. And of course, Nero wants to be, you know, the great performer, the great artist. Yeah. So to have someone who everyone is like, oh my God, Lucan is the shit. Yeah. Like. You'd be like, absolutely not. No. Exactly. So there's some suggestion that he might have just been envious of uh, Lucan. Yeah. Lucan did not help matters with this, though. Okay. There's a poem that Lucan wrote and performed in front of Nero. (laughs) Okay. That says that when Nero dies, he will become deified and he will go up to the heavens. And this is going to be a big problem for the heavens because they're not going to know where to put him. They'll have to put him in the middle of the heavens. Right. Because whichever side they put him on, he'll overbalance it. (laughs) Okay. So... This can be read as like overt extreme flattery. He's so amazing that he'll overbalance the heavens. But there's the double meaning, which is almost certainly the one Nero would have taken, which is that the emperor is overweight, (laughs) which Nero apparently was and was quite sensitive about it. Oh, no. So Lucan really badly read the room for that one. Okay, sure. So, yeah, there there are any number of reasons that Nero might have gotten rid of Lucan and claimed that, you know, he was part of this conspiracy. Another problem with it, though, was that Lucan was the nephew of Seneca. Oh, shit. Nero's old tutor. Yeah. Who'd managed to get away before, you know, he was killed off. Oh. But because of this, because he's implicated by being uh, the uncle to Lucan... Yeah. Seneca is asked to kill himself as well. Oh, hon. Yeah. And it managed to do so well. I know. I know. It's 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 so bad. That sucks. I mean there's there's always this feeling in Roman history like how how can you thrive mm. and then manage to live until you die naturally? And it seems very hard to do. I th- yeah, it is incredibly hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> so Despite possibly keeping popularity with the with many of the lower classes, mm-hmm. Nero is just at this point, people are just like, we cannot keep up with this. No. This is awful. This is worse than Caligula. Yeah. We need to get rid of him. But interestingly, Nero's downfall actually marks a kind of change in Rome because his downfall doesn't come at the hands of the senators or even the Praetorian Guards. <gasps> what? I know, right? The Praetorian like, Guard didn't kill him? No. What? Like they? Sorry, I'm actually so surprised about no, this. No, yeah. They do turn against him. Yeah. But they are not directly or even really indirectly responsible for Nero's death. Okay. So people who've listened to our podcast like any of the Roman episodes before, yeah. will know that the Praetorian Guard were the people who were supposed to protect the emperor, but they also had like a long-standing history of killing the emperor because they were interested in an emperor being in charge so that they yeah. could stay in power. They weren't interested in an individual emperor. And they also, like, they, all they wanted was the emperor to, like, you know, keep them in their money, make sure yeah. that they were well looked after. So as soon as the emperor starts looking like he's not going to do that, they're like, we need a new emperor. Yeah, basically. And we're near him and we have all these weapons. <laughs> like, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, this puts them completely at odds with the Varangian guard, yeah. the Vikings, who were incredibly loyal. Except anyway, for that one guy. <laughs> except for that one guy, but there were reasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Nero's downfall actually comes at the hand of his provincial commanders. Okay. 
because they in the provinces are getting really sick of all these really high taxes coming yeah. from Rome. That makes sense. And they're not seeing any of the rewards from no. it because they're not there for any of the exciting stuff that's going on. Exactly. Right, okay. So in 68 CE, a man by the name of Gaius Julius Vindex, Ooh. he sets up a rebellion. He's actually, he's pretty cool. So he's a governor in Gaul. Okay. His name, Vindex or Windex. Yeah. <laughs> It actually means Avenger in Latin. What? Yeah. Windex means Avenger? Yeah, Vindex or Windex, depending on how you pronounce it. I mean, I'm thinking Windex because I'm certain that's something that you use to clean your windows. It is, yes. (laughs) That's incredible. But either way, yeah, it means Avenger. So it's like, if you're going to have someone to start off a rebellion, that is a cool one to use just for the name. That's a very Gaulish sounding name. Like that would fit right in with Asterix and Obelix. (laughs) Yeah, it really would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, Vindex was not successful and he was forced to commit suicide. Oh, damn. Yeah. Not Vindex. The Roman army... (laughs) How am I going to clean my windows now? (laughs) The Roman army crushed his army, but he was instrumental in the downfall because when he was starting up his rebellion, he managed to get on his side another governor called Servius Sulpicius Galba. Nice. Now, Galba was the governor of Hispania Tarraconensis, which was the largest of the three provinces that made up Hispania or Spain. Cool, okay. And after Vindex died, Galba managed to kind of use this to go, we're being treated really badly, Yeah. and if we complain, we are being killed, we all need to rise up. Yeah. So he manages to get so many of the other commanders, most notably two called Otho and Vespasian, who were governors in Gaul and Judea, respectively. I know Vespasian. Yes. So we'll get on to them a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, don't I'll, worry, I won't spoil things. Yeah, I'll briefly talk about them. But basically, they all rise up with all the other provincial commanders, uh-huh. get their armies together, and are like, we are going to march on Rome and forcibly get rid of Nero. Cool. So at this point... The mood in Rome is a little bit, little bit tense. Really? Because publicly <laughs> they're meant to be, you know, loyal to the emperor and to yeah. Rome. And they're kind of like, but we've got this army coming. Yeah. And we don't like Nero. Yeah. So the first thing that happens is the prefect of the Praetorian Guard publicly announces his support for Galba. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And the Senate begin to debate their own loyalty. Right. So one of the first things they do is they remove Galba's status as a public enemy, which he had been named when he first started rebelling. Okay. But now they're like, we're neutral. (laughs) Well, no, because the thing is, they they know they've got to come down on one side or the other, but they don't know what to do. Because the thing is, Nero is the last of the Julio-Claudians. Yeah. And there were many loyalists and people who were like, this is tradition, the line should be preserved. Maybe we could just like, not kill him, but just like take him down from being emperor. And he actually seems to kind of toy with this idea. Okay. Uh, Nero, he suggests that he could just be the prefect of Egypt. Sure. Okay. But He didn't want Greece? No, he wanted Egypt, apparently. All right. I mean, he'd done a good Nile expedition, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, The thing is, though, the Senate kind of go, no. Ultimately, they were like, no, we're not doing this. We're not going to keep him. We're just going to get rid of him. Sure. So Nero decides, my position is bad. I'm going to flee. I'm going to get together some loyal soldiers, and we're going to go to Ostia. Sure. 
That's not I'm, very far away from Rome, but sure. It's really not far away from <laughs> Rome. And also, he cannot get enough soldiers who are loyal to him. Yeah. So he's like... <laughs> That's so sad. It's kind of like he's gone to the docks, having told people to meet him there, and yeah. no one's there. No. So he goes back to the palace. Oh. And everyone's gone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Out of this massive, massive palace. Yeah. So he's kind of like, hey... Hey, is anyone Hello? there? He manages to get together four imperial freedmen, including Sporus. Okay. Oh, I'm I'm worried about Sporus already. Don't worry. Okay. I will tell you now, Sporus comes out fine. Okay, good. So he managed to get these four imperial freedmen. He's like, you're my imperial freedman. You need to be like super loyal to me. Come on, we're all going to flee together. Okay. So they run away and find sanctuary in the villa of another imperial freedman called Phaon. Okay. And it's here that he receives the news that the Senate has declared him, Nero, a public enemy. Whoa, okay. So now he's kind of like, he's got nowhere to hide. Yeah. So he said, he kind of thinks, you know... What am I going to do? I'm going to be dramatic one last time. I am going to take my own life. Okay. Which is kind of one of the only Roman customs that he actually falls in line with through most of his life. Yeah. Uh, Suetonius writes that as he's kind of debating with himself whether or not to do this, he's pacing up and down saying, what an artist dies in me. Oh, hon. Nero is dramatic even to the end. And I love that he's worried about his artistry. Yeah, I rather know, right? than It's not like, oh, my country, what have I done to no, my country? No, he's He's really concerned about, you know, how much of a great performer he is and how the world is going to lose him. Oh, no. He de- <laughs> what a shame. Yeah. He decides, though, eventually that, you know, he has to take his life. Basically, it's kind of either he takes his life now or... Or he goes back to Rome and mm-hmm. is horribly murdered. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's the honourable Roman thing to do. It is, yeah. Even though normally he doesn't really care for that. But, no, but you know, like... he's, he's going to do it for this one. Yeah. So he tries to commit suicide mm-hmm. and doesn't manage to do it. So he asks one of his freedmen if they could do it first and show him how to do it. Oh, come on. I know, right? It's like an ultimate last dick move. Oh, yeah. Fortunately, the freedmen all refuse. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. So he kind of, in despair, he like he has another go at it, tries to stab himself, can't really do it. And he's just like, can one of you just stab me? Yeah. And one of the freedmen gladly takes the sword and stabs him. Yeah. So Nero dies and... With that, we have the end of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, the first great dynasty of emperors. Oh, no. And Galba (laughs) becomes the new emperor, which marks the next imperial dynasty, which is known as the Year of Four Emperors. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But that is probably the topic for another time and brings us to the end of our story about Nero. Nice. I don't know entirely what to think of him, I definitely think he was worse than Caligula. Oh, 100%, yes. Yeah. I think there's definitely, you know, things that are going to have been exaggerated or in some cases outright made up. There's a lot of stuff which suggests, though, that he was genuinely just an awful person. Yeah. And yeah, like, this is why it seems like he went downhill so far after, you know, all those good influences went away. Yeah. Because then he was just ruled by himself and 
himself was bad. Yeah, so. it sounds like he was really just ruled by what he wanted to do at the time. Yeah. Um, he liked decorating things gold. Yeah. Unlike any other rulers that we could think about. <laughs> um and he was clearly taking a lot of money from the public purse to do that. Yep. Which might upset people, perhaps. I mean, it might well do. Especially if, you know, there's been a great tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have died and you're just kind of partying. Yeah. Like, and the economy has taken a bit of a hit. Yeah. Because yeah. of said tragedy. And yet you're just like throwing money away at useless things. And, you know, you're decorating your own home mm. and not necessarily paying attention to others. Exactly. I wonder why it is that I decided to do this topic. <laughs> I have no idea. But in the future, we're going to re-listen to this and be like, what was that about? I know, right? I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is one episode where we make one joke and it's definitely about something political that just happened and I cannot remember what it was. <laughs> oh, I kind of enjoy that though. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you very much for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. If you're following us on Spotify, it would be amazing if you could give us a five-star review and help us get our stories about completely irrelevant politics out to other people. And as always, thank you to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music Barnaby has used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and rise up, provincial commanders. Bye!